Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus says, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Well, you heard that statement read, and I'd like to begin today by asking you, well, how does that statement of Jesus strike you? I mean, what do you take that statement as? Well, this is a Lutheran chapel, so I can ask, uh, how would you classify that statement? How does it function? Is that statement law, or is that statement gospel? And don't be too quick to answer that. In other words, especially, don't be too quick to say, oh, that statement is gospel, because in the context here, remember this has just come after uh, the rich guy who came to Jesus, and then who left Jesus, who rejected Jesus. Well, for him, these words aren't gospel. The potential of being saved is not the same as getting saved. So how do you take these words? Maybe we need some context. And context is key because I've heard these words used in our American context where they've been ripped out of the context of the Gospel of Mark and allowed to sort of stand independently, and they've been used as gospel. Well, not really as gospel, but more as a proof text for gospel. Well, really proof text for a gospel, which when you look a little closer at it, it's another gospel, which when you look closer, it really isn't a gospel. And this is sort of how it's said. I'll try to pull this off, bear with me. But the preacher might say, with men, it is impossible, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. Then he would matrix this with what Paul said in Philippians 4, also ripped out of context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then go to Mark 10, also taking Jesus' words about prayer out of context. Whatever you ask for, believing, it will be yours. And we get sort of the making of the uh, American success and prosperity gospel with all these words sort of floating in space and taken out of context. You know, God loves you and he wants to bless you. Jesus died upon the cross so that you could have a blessed earthly life. Really, that's what it is. And you know that you have this life when you use the right faith paradigm and God multiplies blessings upon you. In fact, you can rate this blessed life in terms of all the material blessings that you have, which then makes us very strange coming in a pericope that just follows a story about a man who came to Jesus and left Jesus, rejected Jesus because that guy had many possessions. In fact, uh, where did today's pericope begin? Jesus is evaluating that and he says, how with difficulty will those who have possessions enter into the kingdom of God? And it's as if these guys aren't even paying attention to what Jesus just said. I know we tend to freak out just like the disciples, but we should let that statement of Jesus stand. In a sense, this is kind of a Newtonian way of looking at the world and how it works when the gospel is proclaimed. Those who have possessions, it's difficult for them to enter. The disciples freak out, and Jesus doesn't make it any easier for them. He says, yeah, it's difficult, yet finally, impossible. 
So you got to watch out for a gospel that tells you that God is going to bless you so much that it will eventually become difficult for you to be saved. <clears throat> Being first, you will become last. See, no gospel. When the focus is taken off Jesus and all the blessings, you end up with a gospel that is no gospel. But then I've also also heard these words used as, you might say, the logical conclusion to that story of the rich guy. You know, the rich guy comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, all of us who've read Walther and the Confessions would say, what a doofus. You can't do anything, don't you know? And Jesus seems to track with that. You know, why do you call me good? There's only one good, God. You know the commandments, and he lists them. And, uh, and then the logical conclusion to that question would finally be, hey, with man it is impossible. And I've heard it preached this way, and you know, true enough, with man it is impossible. What must I do? But uh, I can remember hearing these sermons where Jesus' call to that man almost becomes not the call of somebody who loves that man and is offering him the gospel, but more of this kind of sarcastic Missouri Synod Lutheran, like, you think you've kept the law, man, I'm going to show you. I'm going to put you down to size, and you're going to leave sad because you didn't ask the gospel question. In fact, as a little boy, I used to identify with that man, hearing these sermons. I wished I was him, because I would have been smart enough just to hang around a little bit longer. I have everything already. I come to Jesus. What must I do? He says, one thing you lack, sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And then I would say, okay, I get it. I can't do anything, right? And then Jesus would say, right. And then I'd say, okay, what are you going to do? I'm going to die for your sins. Good. Then I believe in Jesus, and I got the best of both worlds. I get to keep my stuff. <laughs> what must you do to inherit eternal life? Well, I'll believe in Jesus. I got eternal life, and now I don't have to sell my possessions. I don't have to give to the poor, and I don't have to follow Jesus. <clears throat> the only problem is it seems that Jesus, well, he loved that man, and when he calls him, it's meant as a gospel invitation, that Jesus is sincere, hoping that this rich guy would respond to his call as many in the narrative of Mark already have. Remember, there was Simon who's called Peter and his brother Andrew. Jesus said, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. And they left everything and followed him. He said the th same thing to James and his brother John while they were in the boat with their father Zebedee. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired workers and followed. He said this to Levi, the tax collector. And if it wasn't clear that Jesus' call was a call to salvation for those four fishermen, which I think it was, it becomes clear with Levi, because he's a sinner, and to defend what he has done, Jesus says, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. In that call, in that invitation, Jesus calls sinners into a relationship with him where they get saved by him. And really, this all hinges upon, well, who is Jesus to make this call? There's that question from last week's pericope. Jesus asked this man, you know, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good, God. Why do you call me good? You've probably heard a lot of different uh, interpretations of these verses. I'm going to offer you mine. 
I think the core to this question really is Jesus' identity. It sort of parallels what he asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Why do you call me good? Kind of interesting, the guy says good teacher, then the next time he addresses him, it's simply teacher. Not good teacher. But I guess I might ask you, why do you call Jesus good? And if we've been listening to what the Father said at Jesus' baptism and what the Father said at the transfiguration, then we can answer, because you're the Son of God. You're the one with whom he is pleased. You're the one he loves. He's acting through you. He's speaking through you. And we're going to listen to you. That's who Jesus is, and that's what gets, gives him the right to call that rich man. And that's what gives him the right to save that rich man. The rich man rejects the gospel and goes away. Jesus warns about the rich. His disciples freak out. He only makes it harder. And then when they're asking the question, who then can be saved? To that question, Jesus says, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Law or gospel? Well, you know, it sort of stands there as a theological truth. I was talking to one of my friends and colleagues who said that statement could be law, even harsh law. And I always took it as gospel, so I was bothered by it, so bothered that I woke up at three in the morning and I suddenly saw his point. Just because God can save, just because he can do the impossible, doesn't mean that he's going to. The context is key. This is Jesus, the Son of God, saying this. And it's where Jesus is working, where Jesus is calling, that God does what we cannot do, that God does the impossible. Jesus' call is a call to salvation, and you are those that he has called. He is the Son of God. He shows that by what he does in his teaching, his miracles. And then finally, by being faithful to his Father, faithful even unto death, even death on the cross. The one place in Mark's gospel where a human says, truly this man was the Son of God. Faithful to his Father, and so faithful to you. Saving you. You who have been called by his word. You who have been called by baptism. You who have been called to be his people. What was impossible is not impossible, not with God, when he works through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm mindful, of course, that I'm addressing a lot of students and some potential students. Some of you have given up careers, jobs, left your families to come here. I'm aware that I address the wives of some students who've been faithful to your husbands and to God and children as well. And we can hear God's promise, Jesus' promise to you. There is no one who has left homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, fields, who will not in this time receive a hundred times as much of homes, brothers, sisters, mothers. He doesn't mention fathers. Well, because his father is your father. Children and fields with persecutions. And in the age to come, 
eternal life? Well, not because you're here, but because your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ, has called you to faith, and you are in that faith and life now. You will inherit eternal life. Sound hard to believe? Sound impossible? Well, with men it is impossible, but not with God. Not when he works through his son, Jesus. With God, all things are possible. And may all of our praise and all of our thanks be to our Savior, Jesus, who has done it for us, both now and unto life everlasting. Amen. And now may the peace which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.